Hey, take your Bibles and open up to Luke chapter 18, and we are going to now study God's Word together for the next 35 minutes and hopefully have ourselves aligned with His will for what He's doing in our lives. Luke 18, I'm going to read to you eight verses, and then we're going to study it out. Then He spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Stop right there, eyes up here. That's in the black letters. That's Luke's assumption of what he's about to tell us. Luke, who then put this parable to pen and to paper and now commits it to our memory, says, you know what this is all about? Jesus encouraging his disciples then to pray and not lose heart. Those are two separate things. You have to pray in order that you don't lose heart. And if you've lost heart, you won't find yourself praying. Pick a battle. Which one is it for you? And Jesus here, looking at his disciples, knowing the battle that raged right there within them, said, I got to encourage these guys because maybe they were discouraged. I've got to exhort them because maybe they needed that exhortation to pray, that they wouldn't lose heart. I say that to say this. Have you lost heart? Have you found yourself discouraged? Have you found yourself distracted? Have you found yourself not even knowing what's going on? You tried to show up to the 9 a.m. service and you just found out it's the 11 a.m. service. You don't know what's going on. Has life been difficult for you? The answer in one way, shape, form, or another for all of us is yeah, for sure. And so Jesus knows that. Read verse 1 with me again, then we're going to look at the parable. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, here's the parable. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. By the way, that's two strikes against him. In order to be a judge, you need to fear the Lord and you need to like people. Okay, if you don't fear God and don't like people, eh, you shouldn't be a judge. You got to do something else. Go work at Taco Bell, okay? Something different. If you don't love God, you're not going to serve people with God's ways. And if you don't like people, you're going to be a Lord that, or a judge who lords over people. Verse 3, we're going to see another uh, character show up in the story. Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. In those days, judges would be set up periodically in cities and then travel around in a circuit. This is where we get our term, a circuit judge. And they wouldn't be placed in one city all the time, but they would show up once every six months. And so you would have to wait for your day in court, if you would, to see a person to help understand your case. But unfortunately, this gal, she doesn't have anybody representing her. The Bible says she's a widow and that she's been sinned against. You can understand in that culture, if you were a woman, you had one strike against you. If you were a widowed woman, you had two strikes against you. If you were a widowed woman who had an adversary, you had three strikes against you. And her only hope is an unjust judge, a judge who doesn't like her and doesn't like God. Things aren't looking good. Jesus is telling this parable, by the way, just so you Bible students can pay attention, not by way of comparison, comparing what our lives are like and who he is, but by way of contrast. By way of contrast, that God is very much different than this judge, and you and I are very much different than this widowed woman. Because the Bible calls you and me who are the bride of Christ, that is his esteemed, his appreciated, his covered, his glorified bride that doesn't have spot or wrinkle. So as we're reading this through, understand Jesus is teaching them about prayer with this negative parable. It goes on, verse 4. And he would not for a while, that is, avenge her, but afterwards he said within himself, he's having his morning latte, though I don't fear God nor regard man, he's getting real close to repentance, but not quite, verse 5, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest her continual coming she weary me. Stop right there, eyes up here. 
This guy describes this woman as one who won't relent. She is persistent. She is the persistent widow. The Bible in the Greek implies that his eyes were darkening because of her badgering. They were either blackened from contact or blackened from lack of sleep. He would get off work and go home, and she would be with him walking. Hey there, judge. I wondered if you had a chance to look at my case. And he would go into his house and wake up in the morning and come out, and she'd be right there and texting him and calling him and following him to restaurants and badgering him. And finally, he says to himself, you know what? You know what will you know shut this lady up? If I just do what she's asking me to do. I'll just get her off my back and deal with the case. Jesus, verse 6, says this. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. He says, think about it, guys. This woman, this widowed woman, this poor, defenseless, sinned against victim, badgers this unjust judge who doesn't fear God or like her, and eventually he budges. Now, if you stop right there and don't give it any thought, you're going to think, okay, that's what prayer is like. Our God doesn't like us either, and if we badger him enough, he's going to give us what we want. That's parenting and child raising. That's different. It's a total different thing. It's a totally different thing. It's not the way it is between us and our God. That's how it is between you and your kids, okay? Have you ever had your kids ask for something once, twice, thrice? And they're smart, okay? This is where hostage negotiation begins with, kid, with child raising. And your kids will ask you for something, and you'll say no, and you'll stand your ground because you're a good parent until you get to the restaurant. And then your kids will ask you for something, or maybe the store, or worse yet, the airplane. Have you ever had your kids ask for something on an airplane? And you continue to say, no, you're not going to get that. And they're asking for some illicit thing, you know, a packet of bottle, bottle rockets and some Mountain Dew or something. And you say no, and they say, okay, well, I'm going to act like you abducted me or assaulted me if you don't give it to me. You know? And you've been there, you're like, I'm going to give you what you want now. Later, different story. You know, what I, you know what I'm saying. Jesus is telling this parable by way of contrast, not comparison. Other parables, the sower and the seed, are comparison stories about how the word of God works like a seed. It's, it's just like this. The sheep that is lost and the shepherd that leaves the 99 and goes, God is just like that. The prodigal son, when he returns and the father runs and embraces him, God is just like that. In this story, what Jesus is saying is prayer and God's kids and my character are the exact opposite of the story I just told you. That God doesn't see you as a belittled widow, but instead he sees you as a beautiful bride. That when we approach God, it's not like this guy who eventually budged, but instead it's our God whose ears are ever open to us. That this circuit judge would find himself there every once in a while available. How often is your God available to you in your cry? All the time. Can you imagine waiting for an advocate to come to your region? Waiting for that circuit judge a month, two, three, four. And then when he did come, you're a widow. You're a woman. You have no money. And what would happen in that day is in order to get the judge to hear your case, you would bribe him, pay him off, give him some cash. This lady is destitute. What does Jesus say? That's not how it is with your God. He hears your prayers. He loves you. Jesus, who calls himself the judge, honors his father above all else and loves people to death. Jesus uses this illustration for a very important purpose because he exhorts his disciples then us now to not lose heart and to keep praying. That's what the message is all about. And if you're honest, right now, 99.9% .9 of us, there might be one solo saint here, I want to meet you, who's not lost heart recently and is continuing in 
the activity of prayer. You're doing it. Most of us, though, if you're like me, you're like, oh, yeah, I get discouraged all the time. I, I get bombarded. I get anxious. I get overwhelmed. I, get, I even get distracted. I even sometimes find myself doing things I shouldn't do. And then that plows over, that, that plays over then into the way I pray or don't pray. And if you're honest, you would find yourself like me saying, yeah, there's more days in my week that are prayerless than are prayerful. And Jesus would say, hey, I love you. I need you to understand prayer. I need you to get it. Now, if you were here last week and you're tracking through this portion of scripture, you know that Jesus was just asked right before this answer, this parable, when's the kingdom of God coming? And Jesus went into great detail, describing what the kingdom of God would look like and when it would arrive. He gave a few warnings, remember that? He said, don't think about all the people that are going to raise up distractions and say, he's over there, he's over here, watch out for distractions. He also went on to say, when I return, when the kingdom of God is established, it's going to be like the days of Noah. It's going to be like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's going to be narnar. People are going to be going crazy. And there'll be people trying to get you off track. Let me just do a quick poll. Have you seen anybody in your sphere as you've been walking with the Lord go off track? Have you seen anybody do some crazy stuff? Have you seen people get into and follow and take part in things they ought not to do only to find out that that person is you? <laughs> Has that happened? In the first service, nobody will raise their hand. They're a bunch of babies. <laughs> I have done some stupid things. And I have believed some things that were false. I found myself in these last days in my 20 years of being a Christian doing weird stuff. And so the Lord says, be careful, be careful, be careful, take heed, take heed. And he ends then or segues into the portion I just read. He says, guys, not only do I want you to be aware of what it's going to be like in those end days, the crazy ideas, the crazy perversion, just like Sodom and Gomorrah and Noah's day, but I want you to then combat that with prayer. Don't be discouraged. This is such a timely message, I believe, for me, for my family, for this church, for our staff. As I gathered here last night with Tyler and Will, they drove down from Calvary Chapel uh, coastline, and we, we gathered last night and just talked about what God is doing in our lives. And it was fun catching up. Talked about the Cyprus mission and all the rest and kids and all that. But the best part of our night was when we went to prayer. Let's pray. Let's pray. And the three of us just prayed. And it was so fun just to take it all to the Lord in prayer and to trust him in the midst of the battle. That song we just sang, I'm fight, my, my battles are won. I fight my battles. I fight my battles at the table. And I just, when I heard that song, I was like, dude, I'm, I'm in so many battles. And I, and I hope you realize that you're in battles horizontally and vertically, and we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And Jesus gives us, even today, the way to navigate forward. Because things are going crazy. We find ourselves dealing with immorality, people switching directions, uh, Satan trying to take people down, the, the, the culture around us. And I just zoom out a little bit. I'm like, whoa, whoa. I found myself earlier this week getting into a fight on Facebook. You ever done that before? I don't do it as often as I used to. I used to do it more, and my wife said, hey, stop, you're an idiot. Don't do that. And so I got into a fight with a dude on Facebook. I, 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 tag, I, I responded to something he posted. I said, what in the heck are you doing, dude? This is, this is garbage. Take this down. And he tagged me. I said, don't tag me in this junk, you know? So I had to unfriend him and all that. And then, I, then it, went, it went dark. It went into Messenger where you can have a real, real cool conversation with somebody. That's the, that's the better place to do it, by the way. And the reason why my heart is like, man, I just, I'm so, uh, to this guy, because he used to be, and I don't know, but he used to be a believer. He used to be part of the, the family, 
And now things have come up, and he's decided to go here. You know what? That's not what I believe anymore in this. And now he's so anthropocentric in his thinking, which means man-centered, and man is the top, and man makes all of the decisions, and it grieves my heart. And Jesus exhorted us. He said, remember Lot's wife in those last days. She began to dispute with God's word. Remember God told them, I'm going to destroy the city. What did she do? Nothing. She didn't believe it. She doubted God's clear word, which caused her to linger which eventually when she was rescued by force, the angel came in and said, dude, we are going. And then she disobeyed. She looked back. She longed back, and that stopped her walk with the Lord. Right on the heels of those illustrations and that teaching, it says, then he spoke to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. I don't know if there could be a better message that you could hear today, especially if you're a born-again Christian. You're, you're here, you're doing it, you're going to heaven. What in the world are you going to occupy your time with until you get there? If prayer's not part of that variable, everything else is going to fall apart very soon. Pray, pray. How many of you guys pray? Raise, up, raise your hand. How many of you guys, you've prayed before? Like, you know, when the cops are following you, and you know, and, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you look back, you're like, oh, Jesus, I repent of everything, you know. <laughs> right? We know how to pray. You know what's crazy? I think as, as we're born and young, I think we're intrinsically wired to pray. We, we know what's going on. Anybody who's agnostic or atheistic doesn't believe in God was taught that. You didn't conclude that as a young person. When you're born, the Bible says that God puts eternity in our hearts, Ecclesiastes 3.11. You're born knowing. Your knower knows there's a connection until you have that connection severed through false teaching. And we know to pray, but what happens is, is we're taught something different, or life doesn't go the way we want, or we're offended, or we're hurt, and while we should pray and ought to pray, sometimes, if you're like me, you're honest, I don't pray, for, for a number of reasons, even though we know it's the right thing to do, and I'll give you a few reasons why we don't pray, but usually it's because of disappointment, some sort of pain, frustration. My daughter, Acacia... Uh, is sick right now. She got a bug on Wednesday and started vomiting and didn't eat anything all day Wednesday, all day Thursday, all day Friday. Saturday, yesterday, she had a few sips of something, and then today she's still in pain. And so she's kind of going, she's only seven years old. She's just a little one. And so on Friday night, she was really going through pain. I was putting her to bed, and she was, I just want to be better. And then she said something so profound. She said, I'm really mad at God right now. <laughs> and I heard her say that. I'm really mad at God right now. And when I heard her say that, my heart broke for her because I know exactly what she's talking about. I remember being sick as a little kid, knowing that God could heal me, crying out to him, Lord, take this pain away. Lord, would you please do something? Lord, Lord, as a little kid, you don't have no problem telling God what you want. You're a little kid. And then when it doesn't happen the way you wanted it to happen, you get discouraged. Jesus, knowing that prayer is a certain way and does certain things in us, wants us to biblically approach him with prayer, not lose heart, because what happens is, is when life gets tough or people disappoint us, people hurt us, or we ourselves fail, we usually take it out on God, and so he encourages us not to lose heart. So the first question I would ask is, do you pray? The answer is, yeah, of course I do. Here's the next question. Do you pray with passion? Here's the next question. Uh, could you pray better? And I don't, I don't like legalistic messages. I hate putting a burden on, on myself or something I can't meet up to, but I want to encourage you guys. I, I train CrossFit, and, and we do a lot of weird Olympic lifts. And one of the phrases I like to use with my athletes that can't do it, I say, fight for it. 
Fight for it. Spend the next year fighting for that lift. Even if you don't have the mobility, you can't do it, you don't have the strength, fight for it. Use a lighter bar. And if I would ask you this question, do you pray passionately? Could you pray more? If there's anything you're going to put a, a weight of responsibility, I don't want to say burden, a weight of responsibility on your shoulders is pray. Jesus exhorted them in these last days, don't quit praying. Don't be discouraged. Matter of fact, in a few short days, Jesus would invite them to the Garden of Gethsemane with them. He said, guys, would you come pray with me? Would you come pray with me? And they had the spiritual gift of sleeping at that point. Remember that time? They're praying. <laughs> you know, that's deep prayer, like, like the groanings of the Holy Spirit. I don't think that's what it meant, you know, those sounds. I just asked you three questions in a row. Do you pray? Do you pray with passion? Could you pray better? Here's the fourth question. Have you lost heart? In verse 18, King James Version, it says that God spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not faint. That's pretty intense. I've, I, you know, I've never, I've never fainted. I almost fainted off the stage one year, a couple, couple years ago. I've never fainted. You're out of control. You're losing heart. You can't go on anymore. Jesus encouraged them. One of the reasons why we faint in prayer or lose heart is because prayer is actually hard. I'll be honest with you. It's hard work against your flesh. If you thought prayer was going to be super easy, you probably tried once and then gave up, just like lifting weights, just like getting fit. You think getting fit or lifting weights is easy? It's not. It's ill right to take care of your body, but most of the reason why we don't do it is because it's hard. Join a gym membership, that's the first step. That's the next step, hard. Give your life to Jesus. Lord, I want to be your servant. I want to be your missionary. I want to do stuff. What do we do? And he says, don't lose heart. Keep praying. You mean like take a nap and stuff? You know, we don't want to pray because it's hard. As a matter of fact, Paul, when he wrote to the church at Colossae, he mentioned a man named Epaphras. And by name and description, he said, I love Paphras because he's always laboring fervently in prayers. And I share that with you and to my own shame because if I was to describe myself to you, I wouldn't necessarily go for and I pray fervently. Pray for you. I prayed for at least 20, maybe 25 people today so far. It's Sunday. It's what we do. But I know how many times throughout the week I don't pray, how many times I fail to pray. And then you might wonder, and I might wonder, why did my day go so weird? Why did things happen that way? Why didn't this come through? And I wonder how many times it's linked to prayer. We don't pray because it's hard. We also don't pray, I think, because the devil doesn't want us to. If prayer wasn't powerful, it wouldn't be hard. Satan has made it difficult for you and me to pray because it is powerful. It does stuff in the spiritual realm. Remind yourself of this. I actually get excited when I'm reminded of how powerful prayer is, even in my weakness and laziness, and I decide to do it anyways, and things happen. Demons flee, devils run, bonds are broken, doors are open, provision is granted, power is given. In prayer, Paul, James said it this way, Jesus, little brother. He said, you have not, because you didn't ask. He went on to say something positive. He said, the effective, fervent righteous, prayers of a righteous man avail what? Much. Much is a lot more than none, much. Those prayers, I don't think the devil wants you to pray, and I think that you need to combat that with prayer. The third reason that we don't pray is not just because it's hard and not just because the devil doesn't want us to, but because we oftentimes just get so hurt and misunderstood when prayer doesn't go the way we want it to. We don't look at it as a first resort, we look at it as a last resort when things have fallen apart. And let me just clarify and simplify it for you. You know what prayer is? It's you talking to your dad. It's a communication with your father. 
It's talking to heaven. God speaks primarily to us through his word. We speak primarily to him with prayer. And let me just use an illustration this way. How many of you guys have a friendship that you haven't talked to that person in a while, and that friendship has waned? Or maybe you have a friendship, a spouse or a loved one, and you talk to them all the time. That friendship is very strong and grows. Prayer is your relationship, friendship, if you would, with Jesus Christ, with God the Father. And I would just say communicate with him, pray to him. Prayer also is not just talking to God, but it's a way that our relationship grows with him and he communicates. Uh, Three things I want you to consider that prayer always produces. Number one, it gives us that lifeline to talk to him. You ever gone to a counseling session or maybe just met with a friend? I do counseling sessions. I meet with people. And usually what happens is they'll talk for about 55 minutes and I'll talk for five minutes. And after 55 minutes of them talking, they're like, oh man, I feel so much better. You helped me out so much. And I'm like, that's the coffee talking. I didn't do a thing, you know. But what happens is, is when you communicate and talk, you tend to talk yourself into strength. How much more so when you communicate and talk to your Father in heaven? And even if you pray and nothing's changed horizontally, you find your strength, the peace that passes understanding. Okay, the second thing that prayer does is it actually allows us a tool to change our situation and circumstances. How many of you guys actually believe that prayer, if it's in God's will and done God's way, that prayer, if it's what God wants to do, will change your circumstances? Outline. You can actually change things. You guys seen this happen before? I believe that it actually changes things. I remember one time I was on staff at the Ashton. No, I wasn't. I was a volunteer at the Ashton Christian Fellowship. And I noticed that they had a little Toyota truck. It was super dirty. And I was like, you know what I want to do? I want to clean this sucker. And so I brought it to my little apartment. I cleaned it all day long, listening to Christian music on the radio. And it was a Wednesday night and church was about to start. And so I tried to fire that little Yoda up and it, you know, and the battery was dead. I was like, no, I wrecked the truck. And I had to get to church and, you know, clicking, clicking, clicking. And I prayed out loud, Jesus, I need you to start this truck right now, please. And it fired up, and it was a miracle. I grabbed the nearest mic. It's a miracle, you know. And I was so excited as a young person. It actually started. I'm. So, I couldn't believe it. Prayer. Prayer actually changes things. This is very important. And most of you who have sat through teachings on prayers, you know the threefold ways that prayer works. But the most important thing I think that prayer changes is not the outside circumstances, it does that. But prayer, when you navigate through those seasons of prayer, changes you. Your heart is changed in prayer. If you're discouraged here, pray. If you're overwhelmed, if you're needy, pray. How could prayer help this? Hey, that's God's call. If you pray, it will help this. Sometimes we mistakenly think that the primary purpose of prayer is to move God's hand. You know, like, I'm going to pray so hard, you're going to tap out, just like this judge. And God says, no, the the primary purpose of prayer is not to move my hand. The primary purpose of prayer is to mold your heart. That as you grow and spend time in prayer, God is able to peel back those layers of your heart and give you a greater understanding of reality. For you young people, this is very important. Because you're praying for stuff that's very important. Where to go to college, who to marry, what job to take, how how to do life. Even for us who are making big decisions. And you've seen this in your life where you've prayed for something. Lord, give me this. And the Lord says to you, I'm not giving you that. I'm your dad. I know what's better, best for you. And if you're like me, you've prayed for something only to a week later, a month, or a year, not have received that thing you prayed for, and you're so thankful God didn't give you what you asked for, and your heart has been completely changed, and God gives to you what is right. Prayer. 
it's a gift that God gives to us. Let me ask this question. How many of you guys have ever prayed and your prayer did not get answered? Just be honest. Your prayer did not get answered. Okay, you're all wrong. It's a trick question. You'll never trust me again. Sorry. <laughs> God answers every single prayer in three ways. One of three ways. When you pray, he either says yes, no, or later. Every single time. It's important for you who are Christians to understand that because if you're discouraged here, I prayed for that. I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. God didn't do what I told him to do. He's a little bit higher on the organizational chart than that. And he appreciates your prayers. And he loves hearing your ideas. And when you submit your prayers to him with care, he's able to then walk you through that season of your life. But he will answer you in yes, no, or later because he's your father. And he knows best. I like this idea of him being our father, by the way. I've got three kids. I'm a dad. And they're asking me for stuff all day long. They're actually really good at asking for stuff. They've never stopped asking for stuff. And as they get older, they ask for more sophisticated stuff. And it's actually kind of interesting. And they ask for stuff from the time the sun goes up to the time the sun goes down. And my answer is the same as the Lord's. Yes. No. We use that card a lot, by the way. No. And later, because there's more wisdom where I'm at than where they're at, and I see things differently. And if my kids ask for a case of bottle rockets and some Mountain Dew and to go to play in their rooms with their friends, I'm going to say no. That's not even a later answer. That's a no for sure. Well, maybe later when you live in your own apartment, but not right now. Wouldn't it be fun if we believed that God loves us enough to say no, but also to say yes? And to also know when to say later. As I was putting this message together on prayer, it's a simple exhortation that God wants us to pray more, not less. He doesn't want us to be discouraged. The prayer works. I began to think about some of my favorite stories in the Bible where prayer is exercised. One of my favorite stories is where Elijah prays to bring judgment upon the godless king and queen, Jezebel and her husband. And he prays for a drought. He says, I want three years of drought. And for three years, it didn't rain there in Israel. I would like to get Elijah as the mayor of Newport and pray against our rain from time to time. You know, like, no more rain, too much rain. He prayed for three years and it didn't rain. And then God said, okay, I'm changing gears. I want you to pray now and it's going to rain. You guys know the story, right? And so he went there and began to pray. And he got in the position of prayer, the posture of prayer. He got down on his knees. It's actually the position of labor in the Old Testament, in the olden days, and even current days in certain countries. And he labored in prayer. And the Bible says he put his head between his knees and he prayed. And when he came up, he told his friend Gehazi, he's like, go check and see if it's raining now. This is before they had the weather app on their phone. And so he prayed once and he said, go check. And Gehazi's like, all right, I'll go check. So he goes to the bluff and looks out over the Mediterranean Sea. And Gehazi's like, looks pretty sunny, boss. You know, and he comes back and tells, no, it's not raining at all. And so he goes into the posture of prayer one more time, laborious prayer. And he prays twice and he says, now go check. And he goes and checks. Three times, go check. Four times, go check. Five times. Six times, go check. At this point, Gehazi's like, dude, I installed a cam, a webcam. I'm just watching. It's not, I don't want to go check. On the seventh time, Gehazi goes back to check. And he looks out over the Mediterranean Sea and he sees nothing. He's like, no, nope, no rain. He's like, well, there's a cloud. And it's about the size of my fist that I can see, like way out there. And he tells that to Elijah, and Elijah gets up. And he says, run! 
run. He girds his robe and he begins to run knowing that the torrential downpour was coming. And as the Bible tells the story, it rained so much that there was a flood and there was mud and all the chariots were stopped up all through prayer. And I mind you, it wasn't just one simple prayer. God told him, pray for rain, and it didn't come overnight. This is an exhortation for you and I who are fighting for the reign of God in maybe your kids' lives, or in our city, or in Cyprus. The devil wants to distract you. He wants to demoralize you. He wants to get you all doing different things than prayer. The last thing he wants you to do is have an established prayer closet, or an established prayer journal, or an established prayer time. Please do not do that, he would think, because prayer causes things to happen. There's a story in the book of Exodus where, actually it's in the book of, uh, yeah, it's in the book of Exodus, where Joshua is down in the battle fighting and Moses has his hands raised up and he's praying. And while his hands are up praying, they're winning. And when his hands come down, they lose. And so the Bible says that her and Aaron come alongside and they grab a rock for him to sit on because he's getting tired. And then they grab his arms and they're holding his arms up. So you got three prayer warriors fighting for praying for somebody who's fighting down in the battle. And when they're praying, he's winning. I love that story because we're hearing about Tyler and Elizabeth going to Cyprus. We're not, anybody going to Cyprus with them? Didn't think so. But we can pray for them here and lift up their arms there and see fruit happen. What about the people that are so distanced from your life? You can't impact them. You can't help them. You can pray for them. There's a, a portion of people right now in this room that this won't even fall on any fertile soil whatsoever. It is falling on deaf ears right now and blind eyes, and you will not pray more than you already have been, if at all. Repent. Repent if that's you. I don't want to be that. I don't want to just agree. Well, that's cool. Man, prayer. Who doesn't think prayer is important? We all think prayer. Are you going to do it? And this is a question I ask myself. There's so many excuses that come up. So many things. And Jesus gives us this parable not to discourage us that we're like the widow and he's like the unjust judge. It's the opposite. He says, guys, if, if, if that judge budged eventually... How much more will God speedily avenge the elect who cry out day and night is what it says in the Bible. How, how much more will, will God not order your steps? A couple of my other favorite stories. There's this one story in the book of Acts chapter 12 where the Bible says Herod Agrippa kills James, John's brother. And then he arrests Peter and the next day he's gonna kill Peter. So the Bible says that the entire church made great prayer for Peter. And the Bible says that there's only one person sleeping in all of Jerusalem that night. Guess who it was? Peter, he's like sleeping because they're praying for him. And the Bible says that through those prayers, an angel showed up and brought light into that cell. The angel drops in and the light turns on. The Bible says Peter's still sleeping. He doesn't even wake up. Can you? In the, old, in the olden days, they didn't have LED lights and switches and all that. If you're sleeping and the light becomes bright, you should wake up. This guy doesn't wake up. The Bible says the angel strikes him in the side. I, it's like a Jean-Claude Van Damme strike. Just like, you know, that's how I imagine it. Anyways, and he goes, oh, what are you doing? You know, and then the angel does something crazy. The angel tells him to get up. So he gets up. The angel says, put on your SBC hoodie. Okay, put it on. And so, so he puts it on. And he says, now, now put your shoes on. It's like dressing a three-year-old. It's really, read it, Acts 12. It's so funny. That now, now put your shoes on. Now grab your tunic, get all your stuff. And as soon as he jumps up and does all this, the chains drop off. And I, I, I freak out about this prayer or this, this miracle that came through prayer because the angel was the only one who could get the chains off, but Peter was really the only one that could get his shoes on. And the angel wouldn't do what he could do for himself, but the angel did what Peter could not do for himself through prayer. 
And sometimes we don't understand this cooperation where God wants us. Lord, I want my marriage healed. Help my wife, Lord. Just love her. Let her know how great she is and let her know how beautiful she is and just take care of her. And the Lord's looking at you going, you do that, dummy. That's your job. You love her and you take care of her and you make sure she knows she's the prettiest woman in the world. You do that. And yet God's going to give you the power to get through the doors and out of the chains that you can't break. As a matter of fact, that story's so cool. Chains are off, he's all dressed, and the angel's like, let's go. And as they're walking out in the Greek, the Greek word for the gates opening up, there's automatic, there's a steel door, and the Bible says it opens up automatically. It's where we get the idea for what Walmart has at their automatic doors. It's right there in Acts chapter 12. The technology's there. The door opens up automatically, and Peter's out in the streets now, and the Bible says that the angel disappears at that point, and Peter realizes that it's not just a vision, but it's reality. See, in your life right now, some of the things you want to see done in your school, in your marriage, in your own life, they're just a dream. That could never happen. There's no way that could ever happen. There's too many chains, too many gates, too much bondage. Have you really prayed about it? And don't even answer piously and religiously. Oh, of course I prayed about it. Thinking about it is not the same as praying about it. Wanting it to happen is not the same as asking it to happen. Prayer is laborious. It is a conversation. It is an actuality. It happens. And, and this is one of those messages that I think we need to hear. You're not going to hear this every single week. I'm not going to, you know, tell you guys what to do. But I think Jesus here exactingly says, I want you guys not to lose heart and to pray. So let me give you just a few thoughts before we end in communion. Jesus here, look at verse 7. He says, and shall not... Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Notice he uses two contrasting terms, speedily and bears long. I think it's important you see that as a mature Christian. When God begins to answer, it's speedily. But before he answers, there is that bearing long season. It's the same with your kids. When your kid asks you, Dad, can I drive the car? Oh, yeah, in 20 years, you know course you can later but when it's time you're driving everywhere we go you're going to be the driver i'm going to get you up to speed i'm going to give you this gift it's going to happen when it's time god says i will avenge i'll do my part is what he says in verse 8 though he says i tell you that he will avenge them speedily here's the question nevertheless when the son of man comes will he really find faith on the earth and that's the end of the parable guys i don't want you to lose heart I don't want you to be so opinionated and so brokenhearted and so closed-minded that you don't pray. You gotta pray. MC Hammer said it, you gotta pray just to make it today. Thank you, Jan. It's funny. And actually, the Lord's been working on me by way of conviction in my prayer life. I can work pretty hard. I don't know about you guys. You guys good workers? You show up, stay late, say yes to everything. It's easy. But it's that time of secret prayer where you fall deeper in love with Jesus. You spend time with him. You tell him, you just, you love him. Not studying the word, that's important and good, but just sitting in his presence, bringing your supplications to him with thanksgiving, like it says in Philippians 4, 5, 6, and 7. Praying to him. Here's a couple of thoughts I want you to, to consider. How's this gonna look this week? The Spirit's gonna prompt you to pray for people. The Spirit's going to give you people on your list, areas of concern. Those, those are your prayer areas. 
And if you would choose to be spirit-led and spontaneous, and when you think about that person or that ministry or this issue, instead of just thinking about it and forming an opinion and putting it on Facebook, which profits nobody, instead, commit that to prayer. I actually got a text from a friend, Travis Whalen, uh, texted me, and I haven't got a text from him in about 10 years. I did his wedding about 10 years ago, and, and he texted me just this last week, and he said, Luke, I was praying, and your name popped into my mind. And here's what I prayed for you. And it was just a real cool prayer. And I just texted him back and said, I receive that. I need that. And he said, let me give you the backstory." He said, we were really, my wife and I, Brianna, you know her, we were, we were praying for our two-year-old son because he's crazy. He's 99% human and 2% animal. Like even though it doesn't even work, you know, he's just, he's crazy. And so while we were praying for our son, we, we used this prayer. We said, Lord, if he's going to be this crazy, at least make him like Luke where he's crazy for the Lord, you know, and, and, and your name came out. I think that was a compliment. I took it as a compliment. <laughs> and he went on to say, and then he, he felt prompted then to, to pray for me, not just about me for his son. He said, but, and they, they prayed. And I was like, this is holy, that's all spirit. I haven't talked to you in, in years. And I, I coveted those. I said, thank you for including, you're praying for your son and you, include, you just threw me in there real quick and bless Luke. Oh, thank you. Cared for me. That's going to produce fruit. It's going to produce fruit. And how much power do your prayers have for those people? You think of people all day long. What if you got organized and just put a little list together? You guys have a phone that has a note on it? You can write notes. What if you just put a heading, prayer project? These are who I'm praying for. Put a list on there because if you don't have a list of people you're praying for, you're going to go to pray for people and be like, I don't know who to pray for. Lord, bless that one guy in that one place over there. Amen. You're going to hit some target somewhere. <laughs> Lord, you know, the Lord, the Lord's going to put a project together and teach your kids this. Teach your spouse this. Do this. Make prayer projects together. Jesus exhorted them. Don't be distracted. Don't be discouraged. Don't quit praying. Please pray. Maybe you need to find a better time to pray. Maybe you're like me and sometimes you want to pray at night. You're like, at the very last thing you do, let's pray. Lord, we just want to... And you go right to bed. That's the worst time to pray for you. Don't do that. This morning I woke up around 5 and it was too early so I stayed in bed. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I stayed in bed, but about 5.30, 5.45, I finally got up, and I swung my legs around. I just knew, I just was overwhelmed today. It's a big day. It's a long day, and, and yet I didn't want to be discouraged, so I began to pray immediately before I even got out of bed, just praying, Lord, give me power today, Lord. Help me to glorify you. Give me sustenance. Give, and just begin to pray for the worship team as they're visiting, for Tyler as he drove down from Astoria yesterday. There's so much going on. Lord, Lord, and if you don't have a way to pray that's working, figure it out and find that way that will list for you. Another way you could pray is just ask people what they want prayer for. You, you, did you know that if you ask a non-believer what they want prayer for, if they need prayer, they'll usually answer you? Everybody wants to be prayed for. And, and, and you can help them even in their lives by just knowing that somebody cares for them. One time my wife and I were at Senior Sam's in Ashland, and I was talking to her about this story last night, and, and I was kind of maybe over-caffeinated, I'm not sure what happened, but uh, we were at Senior Sam's, and the girl was making our food, and I, I said, hey, uh, Daisy, that was her name, I said, hey, I love to pray for people. Is there anything I could pray for you about? And without even looking up, she goes, you can pray for yourself. And she was kind of spicy. I was like, whoa. You know, I was like, all right, you know, and, and she, didn't, she didn't like that, you know, because I kind of came off maybe a little bit too strong or whatever. I don't know how that's possible, but, uh, but, I, I, <laughs> but it might have happened. And, and, and so long story short, we, we prayed for her. We know just what we're eating and stuff. And we kept going back to Senior Sam's. 
And it turns out she was a real broken individual, much like this widowed woman. She had stuff going against her and an adversary and difficulty. And we just kept loving on her. It was so cool to see her come full circle and eventually become our friend and eventually go to Ashland Christian Fellowship and to become a Christian and go to church. It was so wild. And I, every time I saw her, I was like, what the heck, dude? How did that even work? Like, I didn't even, I honestly didn't even think it was going to work when I asked you if I could pray for you. But you, the Lord, prayer. Pray. What, what about praying for the lost in general, our world? Are you so discouraged in our, in our world? Be careful that, that you don't think maybe God can even work anymore. There is a tendency within Christendom to just look at the world and say, Lord, would you just come quickly? Just wipe it out. It's over. There's a tendency to be so frustrated with what things are. God says, I want, the reason God hasn't returned yet is because he's not wanting anyone to perish. If you pray for people to be saved, like you're praying in tandem with what the Lord wants. There is so much potential and power in prayer. And God wants us not to be discouraged in the battle and in the frustration and in the difficulty and in those unanswered prayers that aren't according to his will. And instead, he wants us to, by faith, plant our roots into the simple declaration of what his word has said. Again, I, I kind of spoke wrongly when I said a, a majority of people or some here are going to hear this and not do anything differently. I apologize. I don't know that. I don't know that. But really, the Lord would have you and I to be serious and watchful in our days. Noah heard God's word, and he responded. Lot heard God's word, and, and he responded. Not, not perfectly, but he did respond. In this particular portion of scripture, Jesus says, when I return, will I find anybody persistent in prayer? Will anybody be doing that? Will anybody persist patiently? Maybe you need to identify that cause in your life or that relationship, and you need to persist, persist, persist. Like, like the MOPS group, the, the mothers of preschoolers that just gather and pray for their schools and pray for people. Pray for that thing. You'll do God an honor, and you'll do others a service. I'm going to have the worship team come up and lead us now in a closing song as we respond and celebrate what Jesus has done for us, and as we even surrender and ask him to help us to do what he's asked us to do. So if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes as we respond now. Jesus, we thank you that you are a great teacher and you're a great savior, that you both tell us what to do and show us how to do it. And then Jesus, you're so good at what you do that you even pay for the tuition to make sure it gets done that you went to the cross for our sake, that we might be able to be saved and then to be empowered and to do the things you've called us to do. So different than every other religion, every other philosophy of man, every other way is up to them. And yet, Lord, you've given us instruction and empowerment at the same time. And if you're here this morning, or maybe you're watching online, or you're, maybe you're tuning in later, years from now, just listening to the Gospel of Luke, and you, you want to be a prayer person, and, and and yet you know your own weaknesses. You know your own discouragement. But you want to pray. You truly do. And you're willing to take a challenge from the Lord. You're willing to take his word at face value and do it. Would you just right now, by way of volunteering and, and asking for help, raise your hand right now and say, Lord, I'd, I'd like to pray more. I would like to do that. 
Just as Jesus invited the three amigos to the Garden of Gethsemane, you would go with him into that prayer closet. Raise up your hand right now. You're not saying you're going to be perfect, but you're saying, I'll do it. I'll pray for my marriage. I'll pray for my kids. Lord, I'll figure it out. I won't be as distracted. I'll turn off Netflix or turn off YouTube or get off Facebook, and I will pray, and I will be organized. Would you just raise up your hand? Maybe even raise up your hand a little higher if you need help in doing that. Lord, would you, would you show me who to pray for? Lord, show me what that looks like. Make me a man of God who prays. Make me a woman of God who prays. Just raise up your hand. We thank you, Jesus, that we can trust you to lead us in this, Lord, and that we can trust you to guide our prayers and do with them what only you can do. But we'll do our part. You can put your hands down. Maybe you're here this morning, and, and, you're, and you're not even a Christian. You're not yet saved. You haven't given your life to Jesus. You haven't been born again. Your sins haven't been forgiven to you, and you don't have Jesus as your judge. You have no hope, but today you want to give your life to Jesus and say, Lord, would you be my judge? I would love to work for you because you died for me. I'd love to be a part of what you're doing, and that's your story right now, and you know it. You're not a believer, but today you're going to give your life to Jesus and surrender. Would you raise up your hand right now? Would you just stick it up nice and high? Lord, you see. You see the hands going up in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, that you would be honored, Lord, to save if your hand is up right now and you love Jesus, he's saving your soul. This is once and done. He loves you. Regeneration is a gift from him as he cleanses you of your sins and establishes himself as king of your heart. Raise up your hand if that's you this morning. In Jesus' name, Lord, we see. We thank you, Lord, and we celebrate what you've done. You can put your hands down. And Lord, as we come to the table of communion, we know that your death, burial, and resurrection, Lord, is what solidifies our relationship with you, that allows us, Lord, not to be discouraged, even in those times of testing where things haven't gone right, Lord, where things haven't been perfect. We can look at you and say, your body, your blood, spilled and broken for us, Lord, guarantee that you're for us, not against us. And so what we do now is we take communion, examining ourselves and proclaiming your death until you return. We do so with celebration. And I pray, Lord, you'd be honored in this time as we come to the table. May we find ourselves strengthened. We do what we do now in Jesus' name. Amen.